listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 235. Hey, Paige. Hey, Mark. We're recording this on Memorial Day. Yeah. So, everybody, can we have just a moment of silence for all of those that paid the ultimate sacrifice? All right. How about we come out of that somber moment and have a little bit of fun? Okay. So, Paige. What? Guess what? What? We want to give a big shout out to Cooper Anygunberg. He won the Louisiana State Social Studies Competition in his age group this year for a pigging demonstration, a pipeline pigging demonstration. Oh, cool. Big shout out to his dad, John. They own a pigging company back in Louisiana called Drinkwater Products. And John thought it was cool that his son showed what pigging was so Cooper's friends and teachers could understand more about the oil and gas industry. And so that's where he got the idea from his dad's company. And it's just awesome that he won the Louisiana State Social Studies Competition. So congratulations, Cooper, for kicking butt and taking names. And then also a big shout out to your dad, John, for sharing what he does with you so that your son, Cooper, can share it with the rest of his friends. I just think it's awesome. Yeah. Oh, and also, guess what, Mark? What? We're starting the happy hours again. Our first happy hour. Things are getting back to normal. It's going to be June 24th, which is a Thursday here in Houston. We don't have the details out yet. By the time you hear this, hopefully details will be coming out soon. So just follow us on social media. It'll be from 6 to 9 p.m. And then part of our proceeds goes to fight human sex trafficking in Red M. So getting back together in person like normal times it's gonna be awesome there's only gonna be about 150 seats people so pay attention i got a feeling this thing's gonna sell out quickly well yeah just because everybody wants to get back to normal it's pretty crazy it is pretty crazy. i went shopping yesterday without a mask yeah, it and they let me in to not have yeah. a mask on yeah and speaking of things getting back to normal we're getting reviews thank you everybody <laughs> you want to read that one page yeah it says excellent oil and gas podcast five stars this podcast is so informational on news in the industry but not at all boring well (laughs) that's what we strive for (laughs) mark and Paige are knowledgeable about the industry and policy i love the rapport that's bev from texas off of apple Podcasts. thank you bev from texas let's get to news stories all right so the first one is shell to sell interest in deer park refinery to partner pumex okay i didn't know this was gonna happen not that Whoa, I know everything that's going to happen, <laughs> but usually I have inklings, right? Or sometimes I get a little behind the scenes information. So this was an unsolicited bid. If you don't know the history, Shell and Motiva shared a lot of, I mean, Shell and sorry, Ramco shared a lot of refineries in the U.S. under the name Motiva. A few years ago, they split up nicely and Motiva kept some of the refineries and Shell kept some of the other ones. The Deer Park refinery, which I've actually been to several times right here outside of Houston, it's a city within itself. It's enormous. was always a joint venture between Shell and Pemex. But in a totally unexpected move, Pemex made an unsolicited bid, which Shell accepted. And Pemex has taken over the fuel refinery part of the Deer Park refinery business. Now, what's really interesting here is Here in Houston, if you drive around, you will see some Pemex gas stations. Those gas stations are not selling gasoline and diesel from Mexico, people. They're selling gasoline and diesel from basically the closest refinery here in Houston, which is Deer Park and and BP's refinery. But the Latin community has very loyal brands. And so it's fascinating. I talked about this a few years ago when Pemex opened the first gas station here in Houston. It's like, 
are the Latino population be loyal enough to the brands that they remember from their parents to actually spend the extra time to go find the Pemex gas stations and fuel, fill up there? And the answer after a couple of years is yes. Really? Yeah. Isn't that cool that you have such brand loyalty that you're willing to go out of your way a little bit to buy gasoline from a certain gas station, not knowing the f- truth about where that actual fuel physically comes from? Doesn't matter, right? And so the Pemex gas stations have done so well in the Gulf Coast of the U.S. that now they're wanting to own a different part of the value chain. They want to own a refinery, just like back in Mexico. In Mexico, Pemex owns all the refineries. Pemex produces all the hydrocarbons. Pemex moves it all. Pemex has all the retail gas stations. And so that's it's not going to go that far here, but Pemex is literally amping up its game and saying, okay, we have enough clients that believe in what we do that buy from us that we now need to own refineries. They bought one. The other interesting thing to me, which they don't go real deep in this article, is the fact that Shell was very adamant about keeping its petrochemical divisions and its docks and its terminals. That tells me that Shell sees the margins of refined fuels as less valuable as the margins on petrochemicals and the logistics part is still money made, the the docks and terminals. So I think this is probably a good deal for both sides. Pemex gets a refinery, it puts its name on, actually gets to refine its own fuel here on the Gulf Coast, here outside of Houston to supply its gas stations, which by the way, they're not going to just sell to Pemex gas stations. They're going to sell to anybody that buys it. Okay. One of the people that will buy it will be the Pemex gas stations. And then from Shell's point of view, and we got more stuff to talk about Shell, I think it's another sign that the super majors are getting away from the fringe part of their core businesses and trying to concentrate on stuff that makes the most money. In this case, Shell is stepping away from a fuel refinery, but keeping the petrochemical side of the refinery and the logistical side. So I think this is good for everybody. All right. So the next article is ad agencies step away from oil and gas and echo of cigarette exodus. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Mark. Yeah, so this is a this is actually you really should read the article. The links are in the show notes everybody by the way, like they've always been. And so they're talking about how oil and gas companies of all different size, upstream, midstream, downstream, the service companies, retail have done ads for a very long time. Now, on the show we've talked a bunch about how those ads don't move the needle like they used to. But One of the things that's aggravating about this is this article is centered around Greenpeace. Big shout out to my Greenpeace friends, all of them. (laughs) Um, And they filed a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission, which this is serious. And they accused Chevron of consistently misrepresenting its image to appear climate friendly, right? So when Chevron has human energy commercials out there, Greenpeace is saying, you're not showing the truth. So here's my conversation I would love to have on the microphone, Greenpeace. You want to come join me on the show? I'd love to have you here. What are you doing that's honest? No what kidding. What fuels your ships? No kidding. And how many ships do they have? Yeah. And your ships aren't running lean burn technology and catalytic converters. You're running bunker C, maybe diesel, maybe diesel, mm-hmm. right? Which is some of the dirtiest fuels out there. And even your ships that are powered by wind, where does that sailcloth come from, mm-hmm. right? And even your ships that are powered by wind have internal combustion engines to maneuver in the harbors. Where does that fuel come from? And your Zodiacs with the four-stroke or two-stroke outboards, where does that fuel come from, Greenpeace? And yet you're filing a complaint because you're saying Chevron doesn't represent itself properly in public. This is hypocrisy on the highest level. And Paige, unfortunately, a lot of the publics go, yeah. Well, that's exactly, that's that's part of their agenda, Mark. That's part of their narrative. And what really bothers me is they talk about here, the decision to do something like this was a moral decision. Moral. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, This is from an ad agency out of New York. They signed a pledge where they'll no longer work with oil and gas producers. And so at some point we have to say enough is enough. And I've been saying for a while, I mean, what was it? 
two years ago where I finally said, okay, I will talk about politics because it's become that important on the show. I think so. Yeah. This is another thing where I'm going to start calling out companies that are this hypocritic. This is ridiculous. And comparing big oil to tobacco. Come on. People. Yeah, that's a, that's a little that, that, much. That's, that's talk about misrepresentation in public. So uh, maybe anyway. they got mad because Biden banned Newports or whatever. Well, that's another whole story because those same ad agencies that were going, we're not going to do ad work for tobacco, will happily do it for marijuana grown and distributed by the same tobacco companies, right? Uh So just hypocrisy on top of hypocrisy. So to all your ad agencies that don't want to work with oil and gas, go f*** yourself. (laughs) Okay, so on a lighter note, Ford F-150 Lightning revealed an electronic truck for the masses. Okay. Where do you think I'm going to go with this? I have no idea. <laughs> no, idea. no clue. I think this is freaking incredible. This is awesome. Electric vehicles are the future. For personal vehicles, short range, it just makes so much sense from a physics point of view. And I could spend hours talking about it. We just need a breakthrough in battery technology. The most popular vehicle in the U.S. and has been for a while is the Ford F-150. The pickup truck's more popular than sedans or cars, right? And Ford has led the way. And the reason Ford has led the way is they build trucks that are perfect for people that need them to work, people that need to haul heavy loads, but they also build trucks for people that don't, that just want to use them as a commuter. And now Ford is coming in and putting both feet on the line next to Tesla and going, we're building a truck, but you know what? It's going to look like a truck. It's going to function like a truck, and it's going to make sense to fleets and people that work for a living, unlike Tesla's Cybertruck. And so I just think this is awesome. If you think about most, think about the guys that do your HVAC or the guys that do your plumbing or the guys that come out and cut your grass. Most of their trips are short, right? They don't need a range of four or 500 miles in a day. All those trucks come back to a central place. Usually it's the shop owner's parking lot every night, which is perfect for recharging. And because they're electric, the total cost of ownership for a fleet especially would be less for gas or diesel. They have good towing capacity, not great. And yes, I understand that when these vehicles are towing, their range should go down. So what? And Ford's actually, I think, bringing something that's actually real and physical to the market versus something that's wishful thinking to the market. And so I think this is also Ford. I think Ford's going to kick Tesla's butt in this, in this war right here. Really? You think so? Oh, yeah. Tesla's valuation, Tesla's doing, a lot of it's built upon Elon Musk's personality, which I love the guy to death. I really wish he didn't have an anti-oil and gas mentality. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the show. But, you know, what he's done has been incredible. He's basically, his genius isn't the electric vehicle. His genius wasn't PayPal. His genius isn't SpaceX. His genius is getting governments and municipalities to pay for all that stuff. Tesla's, and if he doesn't like it, he just moves. Yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> Tesla's market value is is almost totally equivalent to the amount of subsidies he gets from state and federal levels. It's it's genius that he, that he thought of this. But I do think Ford's going to pass him up, especially in the fleet and, and commercial area. You know, hats off for Ford to taking this risk. It is a risk for them. I think it's the right risk. I'm going to drive one. They have a frunk. Oh, really? Yeah. There's no engine in the front. <laughs> That's so the awesome. front's now called a trunk, but it's in the front, so now it's a frunk. So now you have all this extra storage. And the other thing, Paige, is if you have something bad happen, these F-150s can power your house up to maybe three days. Whoa, right? that's a game yeah. changer. They're all all-wheel drive because their motor's in the front, motor's in the back. Nice. And between five and 600 horsepower, they're fast. And they're going to look just like a normal Ford truck. I think Ford is getting ready to rule this 
electronic truck market. Well, and you were saying the other day, you know, Tesla's coming up and it's going to be, what, eight years since they made their first model and it hasn't changed? Yeah, so the very original, or not the original, I know people don't no hate me, I know originally built that Roadster. But after that, their original vehicle, which was so revolutionary, now starting to feel kind of dated. It's eight years old. And this is my personal opinion, but the Model 3 and the Cybertruck and the SUV, unfortunately, I just think are ugly. They yeah. don't look good. The original Tesla was phenomenal. And if you haven't driven one, people don't. The reason I You'll say that is because yeah. you want one. You don't, when you drive one, it's not an electric vehicle. It's a really cool vehicle that just happens to be electric. Now, it's heavy. I mean, the fastest one is around 7,000 pounds, which means it's quick and a straight Jeez. line, but you're not getting around a corner, right? But there's a bunch of smart people out there working on new battery technologies, and that's all we really need, that or fuel cells. So, you know, back to Ford, I think Ford timed this just right. I think a lot of the they get a lot of the fleet business, which is going to give them long-term revenue that Tesla's not going to be able to tap into. And then quite frankly, once these vehicles are on the road, there's all kinds of new layers of stuff that you can add to it. Imagine... So right now, if you would if you would equip your fleet with these, you can pull an app up that Ford's provided and see where all your vehicles are, see how much charge they are. But imagine this. Imagine something as simple as you got all those Ford trucks to talk back to headquarters about when the automatic windshield wipers came on. Now you have a rain-sensing instrument that nobody else has, right? Yeah. Right? And so now you can get detailed, accurate information on rain. So I think there's other things that nobody's thought of that's going to be layered on top of this that's going to benefit everybody. But, you know, good job, Ford. All right. So the next one is Exxon loses board seats to activist hedge fund and landmark climate vote. Hey, calm down. It's all right. <laughs> Exxon, Exxon, Exxon. I love you to death. I, I shot a bunch of your executives four years ago an email that says that this was going to happen. And I didn't name engine number one, but I literally said some bad stuff's happening. We have a chance to fix it. We need to do something now and you can't fix it by yourself. So this sounds really bad. From a practical point of view, the engine number one, who's very anti-traditional hydrocarbon business, which owns some shares, they've got one of their people, actually a company called Nest, which, Nesty, which we know, which makes the biofuels. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They got one of their people elected to the board of Exxon. The truth is, with 12 board members, this one seat doesn't really make a difference as far as voting, but it's a chink in the armor. It's the first hole. It's the first leaking yep. in the boat. And Exxon and Chevron and Shell and BP and Total and everybody else. I'm telling you right now. It's a common. You can run. You can try to rebrand yourself. You can try to look as green as you can. But people don't understand our business or being elected to board seats, which run our business. That is not good for us. It's not good for the environment. It's not good for your shareholders. And it is not good for your employees. So poor Exxon, I'm, I'm actually going to reach back out to them probably next week and see if I can help with this. But you have a lot of their the funds that hold shares agreeing with this and think this is moving in the right direction. You know, BlackRock's one, engine number one, which is another one, is in there. And, you know, Exxon just came out of hell <laughs> between 2020. Actually, really, since the downturn of 2015, you know, 2014, 2015, Exxon's really never come back. And then Exxon's done a lot of work to make sure that their shareholders keep giving dividends. And so bottom line is these climate activists are going to nip away, pick away, chip away, figure out ways to get in. And they're trying to ruin our business. Will they do it? No. Can they make an impact that it makes things so darn expensive that we can't afford to do business anymore? Yeah. And the last thing is this isn't a place for big corporate marketing or comms or public relations. That doesn't work. We're way past that. So, you know, uh, ah, damn it. <laughs> damn it. It's <laughs> happening. And like I said, from a realistic point of view, one board seat's not that big a deal. 
but it's the beginning of stuff yeah. that I don't want to happen. So, yeah. you know, my heart goes out to all the people that have worked at Exxon all these years to see something like this happen on, on their own board. Like I said, we're, I'm going to reach back out and see if we well, can. Well, it's almost like you said, it's, it's, it was inevitable. It's inevitable. We can fix this Exxon and the rest of the oil and gas industry. We just have to be able to tell our stories truthfully to the public in a way that they can understand and comprehend. We have to educate. And that's what we are doing here at OGGN. So, like I said, I'll reach back out. I'm going to reach out to Exxon. I'm going to try not to say I told you so. I'm going to try just to reach yeah, back okay. out and see if I can help. <laughs> You're going to be like, well... <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Email attached. <laughs> All right. So the next article is Dutch court order shell to deepen carbon cut. Can I say ditto and we move to the next article? <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, if you want I need to. I go a little bit deeper in this. So this is in The Hague. A courtroom in The Hague had a, passed a ruling that ordered shell to reduce its carbon emissions by 45% by 2030 for 2019 levels. That doesn't sound too bad considering that Shell is committed to hit carbon zero by, I think, 2050. I think it's 2050. I think 2050. So. Yeah. But the problem with this is a little subtle bit of language. The part of language is that Shell has to make sure itself and its suppliers are meeting these carbon regulations and numbers. Now, when you add suppliers, then you get to a different place. You know, I was picking on Greenpeace earlier. I'm going to go back to pick on Greenpeace, right? <laughs> so, all the fiber-filled jackets that the Greenpeace people wear, which are made from hydrocarbons, does Greenpeace have to account for the CO2 emissions from the people that make the fiber-filled jackets? Hmm. No. 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 Let's talk a little bit about the paint that Greenpeace buys to keep its fleet from rusting away to nothing. That paint is made from hydrocarbons. Does Greenpeace have to pay the fines for the CO2 admitted by the paint manufacturers? No. no. So, and of course... Guess who filed this lawsuit? Our people, <laughs> friends at Greenpeace and then friends of Earth, which, by the way, I'm getting ready to launch a show where I'm going to have these people come on and we're going to talk straight up about what's going on. No name calling, no making fun of each other, just straight up conversation around the facts because I've, I've had enough of this. But anyway, so, of course, friends of Earth and Greenpeace said this is a big win for us. It's historic. It's the first time courts have decided that a major polluter has to cut its emissions. Who thinks that CO2 is pollution? I know a lot of people on the anti-oil and gas Didn't side water vapor worse? Well, as far as global warming, yes. Yeah. But CO2, without CO2, we could not exist. We're carbon-based life forms, right? <laughs> it's what keeps plants alive. Why are you calling CO2 pollution? And if you really believe CO2 is pollution, and you really believe that you should stop all CO2 pollutions, hold your breath. You know why? Each one of us breathes out about two to two and a half pounds of carbon dioxide every day. Oh, so we should just all stop breathing is what you're saying. I don't, and know. I don't want to get childish here, but, you know, Shell's <laughs> going to have to run with this. They're probably going to appeal. Hopefully they win the appeal. If they don't win the appeal, watch out, BP. This is a perfect example of that difference, subtle difference in public opinion between the European super majors and the American super majors and BP and Total, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Y'all will be next if Shell doesn't win this appeal. So speaking of Total, Total shareholders support climate plan rebranding to Total Energies. Yeah, Total. I mean, we knew this was going to happen. Look at the old poor old Stad Oil, whose names could go down in, in history, which is now called Equinor. This is Total doing the greenwash dance, wanting to change its name to move away from the perception so of fossil yeah. fuels. It's a, yeah. Now, the problem with this, and it almost, almost was 100% votes. Actually, I'm not a shareholder. I wish I was. Actually, is Total public in the European market or is it owned by France? I, mean, I don't know. But I wish I owned some piece of I have no idea. went to there <laughs> and, and actually just question people. Like, you know, how much is the brand name Total worth globally? You know, if you go to Africa, do you think when you say Total, they think of 
climate change? Do you think they think of destroying the planet or do you think they think of prosperity? I was going to say prosperity and jobs. Yeah. So once again, this is large company bowing to the pressure. I get it. People, you know, as an industry, we do need to change some of the things that we do. We do need to have much more public accountability around certain things. But if things around health, safety, and environment, I challenge any industry out there to put as much money and work and as much documentation around environmental impact as we do, especially here in Europe. But this is just, you know, one for the course. It's actually not a bad name. At least they kept Total in the name. So, you know, hats off to their marketing team for coming up with something that kept at least the Total name in in there. But, you know, the people out there that think that Total at some point relatively soon will stop producing hydrocarbons, it's a pipe dream. That will never stop, regardless of what you want, regardless of what you think. And it's actually good for mankind. So, But anyway, now I can't say Total anymore. I have to learn how to say Total Energies. That's just an extra word. It's no big deal. All right, so the next article is Biden budget proposes repealing a raft of tax benefits for fossil fuel producers. So if you read this article, they they talk about all the tax subsidies and the financial benefits the U.S. government gets to the oil and gas industry, which is true, but they're not subsidies, right? They're tax Mm write-offs. So things like exemption from corporate income tax for partnerships that derive at least 90% of gross income from natural resources, writing off the depreciation for oil and gas wells that aren't producing, the expensing off of drilling costs, capital gains, treatments for royalty, enhanced oil recovery credits when you pull it off using CO2, mm-hmm. exploration development costs that never sh- turn into a producing well. And all that, if you're not careful, could sound like a subsidy. You know what that is? That's the same tax credits that the U.S. government gives to Ford, speaking of Ford earlier, or Microsoft. Anybody that has a financial risk of developing new products, any type of research and development, which is what happens when you're doing exploration well. It's really research and development. You don't know if you're going to be commercially viable, right? And if you're having to build new drill pipe or a different type of measurement while drilling motor and they have R&D costs behind that, you should be able to write those off. And if you don't want the oil and gas industry to be able to write this off, then say nobody else can write that off. Right, right? exactly. And so, uh, (laughs) but what's happening, and I've warned everybody about this, what's happening is you cannot get rid of the U.S. oil and gas industry ever. What you can do is make it so expensive that it makes more sense for us to import hydrocarbons. And this is one step in that direction. You're now taking away the ability for oil and gas companies to write off stuff that other companies in the same heavy iron space can write off as tax credits and saying we can't do anymore. That's going to add cost. Now, do you think those costs will be paid by the employees at Shell or Chevron, or do you think it's be paid by the consumer? The consumer. Of course, the consumer. So it's increased the cost of gasoline. And Paige, my car runs super unleaded. I just went and filled up two days ago. It was two eighty two a gallon here in Texas. That's crazy. Yeah. That's California prices, except in California, it's five bucks. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, people, if we don't change the way our government is interacting with the oil and gas industry from a tax credit point of view, that's going to continue. And this is a perfect example of how the federal government is stepping in. And instead of trying to go head to head and eliminate fossil fuel production, they're doing an end around and they're they're eliminating provisions in the tax code that apply to all heavy steel industries just for us, which is not fair. So it is what it is. People, as your electricity bill to your house goes up, as your cost for milk goes up, as your cost for fuel for your car goes up, and even if you own a Tesla, as the cost of your electricity, that charge at Tesla goes up, think about this next time it's time to vote. Yep. All right. So next one is shale consolidation. Cimerex and Cabot merger tops busy month for sector deal makers. All right. So the M&As have been happening. I told you it was going to happen. It's happening now. But this one's really different. Although on the top of it, 
you wouldn't see that's any different. Most of the M&A activity that's happened up until this point is consolidation into single basings into the companies that have the sweet spot. And if you don't know this, when you go buy mineral rights, there's different parts of those of the geography that is easier to produce or less expensive to produce compared to others. And it's right. typically called a sweet spot. It's the easiest place to make a dollar get oil and gas out the ground. And so what's happened up until recently, all through 2020, is you've had acquisitions and mergers to enforce that. So if I have competitor A that have a lot of sweet spot properties in the same base that I am, I will buy them. These two guys are doing a complete different. They're actually expanding their basins, right? So they're not concentrating one basin, they're concentrating multiple basins. I think this is the wave of the future. This is what I would call the unconventional hydraulic fracking, you know, 3.0, where we learned our lessons. We learned how to do it less expensive. We've learned how to do it very environmentally responsible. We learned how to get it to market. We've built the infrastructure. And so now we're capitalized on our nimbleness, right? If WTI goes up an extra half a cent, can we move our operations to a basin that produces more WTI? If natural gas goes up a half a cent, can we move our operations to a, a basin that produces more natural gas? I think this is awesome. I think this shows creativity. I think it makes perfect sense. And I think we're going to see more of this sort of thing. And I do not ex- I do not expect this new company to come out and stop buying stuff. I, I think what they're going to do is continue to buy operators that are in adjacent basins that have the expertise that they are exhibiting here. I mean, we just had EQ2 buy Alta Resources. We had Wilson buy a bunch of resources from Dimeback Energy. Bonanza Creek just bought, who did they buy? Somebody. Anyway, so you have, you have a bunch of these type of deals going on. This is the first one where they're capitalized on different basins instead of a single basin. High point resources. High point resources. Thank you. Yeah. So good luck to new company. It's nice to see they kept people working, keep people employed as the cost of crude is creeping up. I expect them to get really busy. All right. So next up is AAPG and SPE explore merger to create new organization. This is the beginning of the end, unfortunately, of a lot of oil and gas organizations. And I've been a member of SPE for Lord knows how long. I've been a member of API for Lord knows how long. I'm a member of several of them. And I've been saying for years that the organizations don't bring the value they need to bring. What happened, though, is even though they didn't bring the value to their members that they used to bring, they kept getting sponsorship money, so they kept running it the same way. And by the way, people, I don't want any of these things to disappear. There's a lot of history with a lot of these, but they need to change their way. What you're seeing is basically AAPG and SPE, both of them had a huge hit on income because of 2020. Yeah. But these also had a huge hit in members. People don't see the value in joining anymore. So both of these organizations are on the decline. So it makes total sense for them to merge. And unfortunately, unless they radically change what they do, which is going to be really hard because of internal politics and traditions, they're going to disappear. Even though they're merging, they're going to disappear. Now, the flip side is I think some of these industry organizations, if they do the right thing, have a chance to really grow and prosper. You know, we, you and I went and spoke in New Mexico, and the New Mexican was it Oil and Gas Association that sponsored us going yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, they're doing things the right way. Remember, they had a lot of their board members were under thirty five. They were looking at new ways to, and get, half of them got on my podcast. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, this made me a chance for for somebody like SPE to partner with one of the newer, more nimble organizations and learn from them. But you know. Leadership at AAPG and SPE and also API, y'all really need to look at what y'all are doing and understand that if you don't change, you will disappear. 
And disappearing is not going to happen overnight. It's going to be painful. It's going to go on for years and years and years. So if you want some help with this, as busy as I am, reach out to me. I would love to give you my input on what I think you need to do differently. And the other thing, if you read through this article, conventional, conventional old oil and gas guys, which by the way, I just had a birthday, so I must be officially. Yeah, happy birthday. But if you read this, they're saying that they'll do it the next couple of years. Like they're not saying they're doing it this week or this month or even this year. Yeah, things have already changed. So they should probably like adapt. speed that up a little bit. And that way it might be a little more easier to adapt in three years, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. All right. So Nigeria to kickstart 100 oil and gas projects between 2021 and 2025. Wow, that sounds great. Remember we talking earlier about how if we don't change what we do politically in the U.S., we could drive business outside the U.S.? Yeah. Here's boom. boom. It's happening. Wow, jinx. <laughs> and, the, and the interesting thing, it's over 100 projects. Most of them are petrochemicals, which I've been saying for years is the better part of the value change. They're also doing midstream projects, upstream projects, terminal projects. And this is the country itself putting its money, its resources behind this. They're also doing fertilizer projects, which actually fit under petrochemicals. You may not know this, but about 60% of the world is fed with fertilizer made from natural gas. I think I did know that. Yeah. And so hats off to Nigeria for having the resources and the understanding to do this. If we're not careful, and if Nigeria keeps a hold on its corruption problem, and if they build the infrastructure, I could easily see Nigeria passing up the U.S. with LNG exportation, right? Because we, our politics are getting in the way already, and it's 2021. We're not even through like the fourth of the term. Right. Right. And so if we're not careful, by 2035, 2040, even though we logistically and physically should own the LNG export market in the world, which is better for the entire planet, we may lose that because of our own politics. And countries like Nigeria, who honestly don't care about Greenpeace, will pull ahead. And once again, people, (laughs) I'm not saying anything against the environment. I love the environment. Our industry loves the environment. But we've gotten to the point now where our politics here in the U.S. and in Europe are greatly impacting our ability to make money. And the result naturally is going to be you move out of those areas, which means you can move those jobs and those resources out of the U.S. and out of Europe. Yeah. But good good thing for, for Nigerian and its people. You know, six years ago, I was talking about how this could happen, but only if they got corruption cleaned up. And the corruption yeah. was so bad. Yeah, it's it was still really bad. bad. Yeah. But they've made a big difference. So hats off for their president for pulling off something I didn't think he'd be able to pull off. All right, so this one's a good one. Oil up near $70 a barrel as demand outlook improves. Okay, this is awesome news. Now, here's the thing we have to all be careful of, people. We we don't want to go above 80. Right. We go above 80, it's going to trigger an increase in productions in the unconventionals in the U.S. We're going to flood the market before the demand comes back, and we're going to go right back to $20 a barrel oil. A lot of this has to do with what's going on with OPEC and also Russia, which is now known as OPEC+. Plus. We really should be part of that. We're not. That's a separate <laughs> That's a separate podcast. But they're seeing a growth in demand. They're also seeing the reduction in supply. And so the crude output actually gets to the point where we can actually, all three of us can up crude output and still keep prices high, which is great. All of this news is great. It's a great article. We just got to be really careful. We don't go nuts if it gets above 80. We have a new clubhouse room that we're launching actually next week by the time you hear this. And it's actually a clubhouse room on business travel because business travel is coming back in oil and gas. Thank God. And it's sponsored by our newest partner, United Airlines. How cool is it that United Airlines not only is working with us, and we love them already, but that they see this uptick in business travel oil and gas coming to the point that they want to start marketing in front of it, which is what we're going to do. We'll put a link to the clubhouse room in the show notes if y'all want to go check it out. I think it's at Wednesdays at 12, but don't hold me to that. But once again, this is awesome news. 
All right, so I think we covered this before earlier this year. SpaceX acquires former oil rigs to service floating starship spaceports. Yeah, so we did cover this earlier, which is still a cool story. They bought a couple of uh, spar rigs to actually use as spaceports, which is awesome. The reason I brought this back is there's something going on that's not getting any immediate attention. What's that? SpaceX owns a mineral company called Lone Store. Really? Yeah. And you know what Lone Star does? What? It produces natural gas. It's out there <laughs> buying mineral properties, right? Leasing mineral properties and then hiring operators and it's producing natural gas. The reason they're producing natural gas is the next generation of rocket engines for SpaceX is going to use methane and liquid oxygen for fuel. And methane is basically natural gas. So what Elon Musk and SpaceX is doing is they form their own operating company. Interesting. So, they can ha- right. so, so he's not so anti-oil and gas. Publicly he is. Publicly. From a well, business right. point of view, he just spent a bunch of money. Because he's now an operator. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? But he technically is not the operator, or SpaceX is not. They formed a separate company so they wouldn't have this conversation. Right. Which is called Lone Star. But I did a little bit of research, and it's 100% to fuel the next generation of rocket engines. And this is why I know that Elon Musk's in-game is, has nothing to do with Tesla, has nothing to do with solar roof panels. It has to do with space. I think Bezos is chasing right behind him. There's a lot of ways you could commercialize space, but if you're going to commercialize space, think about if you were to commercialize Hawaii. Think if nobody ever went to Hawaii before and you were going to build a hotel for tourists and you got to move supplies and people back and forth from California to Hawaii, what's your biggest cost? Yeah, Fuel. Fuel, fuel yeah. So what if while you were trying to colonize and commercialize Hawaii, you bought the company that made fuel for your vessels? Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah, right? right. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're doing. They're building the company to make fuel instead of vessels, it's rocket ships. Yeah. And instead of going across the ocean, you're going through outer space, but it's the exact same scenario. I think this is genius. Like I said earlier, even though Elon Musk publicly doesn't support our industry, he, he, the guy's a genius. And this is just another example how the world will never be able to function without hydrocarbons. There's right. no other fuel around has enough energy density to get us out of our gravity well and i know you see me over here snickering yeah but I, I, uh, well so, i'm laughing because i don't know if anybody's seen jeff bezos's rockets but just go google it just go google it, it means it looks like something <laughs> that it shouldn't look like i'm serious <laughs> you have children that listen to the show are we okay yeah we're fine it's fine everything's fine <laughs> okay Speaking of everything's fine, our good buddies at IBM are still doing the shirt giveaway. It's awesome. Go register. We give away one a week. In our first Friday Q&A, we're going to talk about this a little bit because somebody gave me grief about always talking about the shirts, but we got to wait to the next first Friday Q&A. Oh, okay. That. But we're also doing some really cool stuff with them. And if you have a shirt or even if you've just registered for a shirt, you're going to benefit from it. So go sign up. The link's in the show notes. Weekly rig count. Where are we? All right. So in the United States, we have a count of 457. So we're up two. Canada, 62, up four. Internationally, 695, down 20. Okay. So no. Yeah, but the change from last year has been pretty pretty good as far as, <laughs> as far as the U.S. and Canada goes. I mean, U.S. is up 156 from last year, and then, and then Canada is up 42. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. So that's that's looking great. Yep. And as I always say, go to LinkedIn, search for OGGN, and just click subscribe and join. Whatever pops up. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be like three different things. The company website, follow us. If you want to join the group, people share stuff in there. I'll approve you. And then, of course, the street team. Yeah. And the street team is going doing some really cool stuff. Some of the articles that we read today was furnished to us by our street team. Thought leaders, leadership. Thought leadership group, yep. right? And they're going to be doing more and more. So if you want to play a role in what OGGN is doing, or if you just want to hang out with the cool kids, yeah. go join. 
All right. And then speaking of all of that, if you like this show and if you've listened for a while, you know we do this thing called First Friday Q&A. Once a month, we answer your questions. The goal is not to stump Paige and I. The goal is to help educate our audiences. Go to the website, literally click on the button, ask a question, key punch your question. If we read your question on there, we'll give you a big shout out. And then we talked earlier about how we're restarting our live events here in Houston. The first one will be last Thursday of June. If you want to know about that and even more events, go sign up for the monthly oil and gas events newsletter, which by the way, the events newsletter comes from Modal Point, not OGGN. And people ask me this all the time. So I'll explain it to you. Modal Point is the legal entity that owns OGGN. Modal Point is now our market research company, which is a long story in itself. OGGN is our media company. And we have something else that we're working on that we'll hopefully have up this year. It will basically give us a three-legged approach to the industry. But if anybody out there is looking for market research in oil and gas, specifically around how to sell your product or, or solution to the oil and gas industry, go check out Modal Point. They're experts at that. And they also do the newsletter. Yeah. And they also own OGGN. So they're good people. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of good people, Paige, what? where are we going to be the 16th? Denver, Colorado at Crossfire. We're speaking in person. Well, we're actually do, also doing a live rendition of Oil & Gas this week. So, in person. So people, real life's awesome. coming back. <laughs> we actually get to get on a plane and go see other people. So yeah, I think Michael Page and I will be there for two days. We're doing a panel. We're speaking, doing some live podcasts. Well, I'm not speaking. I'm just doing the live podcast. But if you want myself or any of our experts to come to your event, reach out. I'd be happy to share the details. We love doing this sort of thing. And it's just really awesome that life's creeping back to normal. Speaking of creeping back to normal. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. You ready to get out of here? Yeah. All right, folks, remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the Events on Deck for June 2021. This month, we have six events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occurred two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting two events. One is online and one is in person. For our online event, we're hosting a live stream titled Deal Value Creation, M&A and ONG. This is going to be on June the 2nd. And for our in-person event, we're relaunching our happy hours. It's been far too long since we had a good happy hour, so I'm sure plenty of you will be excited to hear that our next happy hour will be at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on June 24th. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. We hope to see you there. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events, which are the Energy Capital Conference on June 2nd at the Omni Houston Hotel and the U.S. Police and Fire Championships from June 10th to the 21st. The Police and Fire Championships will be hosted in multiple locations, so make sure to check out our events newsletter for more information about that. Next, we have our two online events, the first being the Post-Industrial Summit Series. This event actually started on May 4th, but it'll be ending later this month on June 22nd, so there's still plenty to see. And our second online event is the Big Data Industry Summit from June 9th to 10th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for June. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.